Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. You can visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. They are happy to answer questions and educate you about what they have available and how it can benefit your life. They're all about helping people live a better life. So check them out, abotanicalcompany.com. You can order online, easy pickup, safe pickup. Uh, they are just exceptional people doing great things in the community around them. So again, thanks to Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, a couple days away from the big holiday and we're getting ready here. Uh, we've already picked up all the food and the turkey and the ham and all the sides and I cannot wait to just pig out over the next like four days watch football. We even got basketball tomorrow. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in action for the first time on Wednesday. Thursday is going to be a day filled with NFL football. Friday, we have some really great college football games. Obviously, all day Saturday, big game in the Big 12 with Iowa State and Texas at 11 a.m. Oklahoma State bouncing back. Oklahoma and West Virginia in prime time. Uh, This is a huge four or five day stretch for the sporting world uh, that I'm really excited about. So anyway, uh, we will... uh, We'll obviously be on tomorrow and then take a break on Thanksgiving and bounce back on Friday. So look out for that as well. All right, my guest every Tuesday is the one and only Eric G, co-host of the Pat Jones Show on the Sports Animal Tulsa 97.1. Eric, it is Thanksgiving week. We are only a couple days away. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Now, have you? Have, we're going to do this today on our show, but I'm curious with you. Have you ever have you done the Thanksgiving Day draft where you would your, your top five selections on Thanksgiving? Like if you were sitting, if you were sitting in the war room, you know what is your number one pick? Your number two. So so give me your top five. Give me your top five on Thanksgiving. Give me your top five draft. Oh, top five. I don't even know that I could separate five from like ten because I'm I'm one of those people that. <laughs> I, I basically have to do two rounds just to get a, a, a little bit of all the foods that I want. So, <laughs> like, for example, I, I put this this poll up yesterday on my Twitter account. Favorite Thanksgiving meat, ham or turkey? And let me look real quick. I actually had this pulled up just a second ago. So, at the moment, there have been 842 votes on this poll. 52% say oh, turkey. No. And forty eight percent say ham, so it's it's pretty close to fifty fifty. I I like I can't pick one or the other. I I always put both on my plate. Uh, now, if you ask me, dark meat turkey or white meat turkey, I'm going with the dark meat turkey every time. But like in terms of picking one or the other from turkey and ham, I don't know that I could do that. But I'll just say hey, the, the. I love the fact that you. You what? No, go ahead and finish. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> So what I do is I lay the ham down and then pile the turkey on top of the ham, and it's it's just like that is my meat serving. So it's like the combination. So I'm going to take the combo of dark meat turkey on top of the sliced ham as as my number one pick because that's because I eat them together. Number two has to be dressing because what is turkey without dressing? I mean, honestly, if you didn't have the dressing, I don't even know that turkey is a top five pick. Like, I think it's, you can make a realistic argument that turkey doesn't even get selected in the draft if dressing is also not available. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's dead on. 
And in fact, dressing would be my number one pick, and, and not stuffing, but but definitely dressing. Yes, absolutely. Now, here's here's my biggest question: Does does gravy count as a draft pick, or are we assuming that you get to put gravy on top of things? Um, I think it, I think it has to count as a draft pick. Now, I'm not a big gravy fan. Uh, we do assume that it's going on top of things, but I think you have I think you have to draft it. Okay. And, and I sort of put whipped cream in the in the same category as gravy. Like if you're going to put it on top of your your pecan pie or your pumpkin pie, it still ha- it still has to be a draft pick there. Okay. You have to decide because everything is everything's kind of separate. That's 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 what makes this tough. You don't want it to be easy when you're talking to people about it. Yeah, no, that's fair. My only argument was going to be you don't eat gravy by itself. Like nobody's going to just well, maybe somebody would fill a bowl with gravy and just start you know get a spoon and and go to town. Uh, but the fact that you don't eat it by itself to me was was the question mark there as to whether or not it deserves to be a draft pick or it's assumed that there is a community gravy on the table. But if I have to draft it, I'm gonna draft gravy because I'm gonna pour it over everything that's on my plate. Um, it's it's versatile. You can put it on mashed potatoes. You put it on dressing. You can put it on the turkey. Uh, you can dip your your roll in it. I mean, gravy is the rug that ties the room together, if you will. So gravy has to be a top it, five it's draft the magic, pick. It's the Magic Johnson of Thanksgiving. <laughs> it can play all five positions. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the Magic Johnson of Thanksgiving is uh, gravy. And... Magic Johnson and gravy should probably be never be used in the same sentence ever again. But uh, all that said, <laughs> let's go. Uh, I'm going to go broccoli rice casserole at number four. And solid choice, solid choice. I, there, I, I know people that don't even. That's not even like one of the staples of their Thanksgiving meal. But in the family I grew up in, that was always one of the staples, and it was always one of my favorites. So maybe if for no other reason, the sentimental value that that brings. Uh, but I also think it's delicious. So that's that's going to be number four. And then if I had to go with a number five, I'm so torn here because there are like eight options that I could go with. Um, I'm probably just going to skip to dessert and go cherry cheesecake. Ooh. Ooh. See, you guys... Here's the thing I like about your Thanksgiving. You guys are out of the box because I had to prod my mom two years ago to go ham and turkey. Because I'm not a big turkey fan, yeah. Unless it's smoked, yeah. It has to be smoked, and it has to have a good amount of barbecue seasoning. Um, pecan wood is really good with it, uh, preferably. I don't know, you can get a hardwood and you can do mesquite or um, hickory. It's not bad, but it needs to have kind of a barbecue flavor. And turkey is just, I don't know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a boring meat. Ham is, is the much better meat. So I like the fact that you'll do that. And cheesecake, that's not one we have it, We have in our family. So I love the fact that you guys are going outside the box on that because honestly, cheesecake is, well, you don't have gravy. Cheesecake is, is the perfect dessert to have after just about everything. You can never go wrong with cheesecake. So that's, oh, that's, that's a good Thanksgiving. That's a really good Thanksgiving there, Colby. It's more creative than probably a lot, than probably a lot of other people because of the ham and because of the cheesecake. So 
Bravo. Thank you. Thank None you. Oh, go I got to tell you, though, I do feel like I it's almost sacrilege for me to not have drafted mashed potatoes, for me to not have drafted mac and cheese, or deviled eggs, or cranberry sauce, or rolls. By the way, crescent rolls. Those are my favorite. But um, there are some staples that, that I wasn't able to include that I feel bad about. But uh, green bean casserole, I'm a fan of green bean casserole as well. It's not a top five item for me, but I, I like it. The green bean casserole is a good one. Now, here's the thing. You went gravy. I use the cranberry sauce the way you use gravy. I'm going to put cranberry sauce in just about everything. Yeah. And I love it. It's got to be on top of the turkey. Makes the turkey a little bit easier to eat, especially if you get the white meat. The white meat's a little, the white meat is usually very dry, especially in roast and turkey. So you, you smother that with the cranberry sauce. It mixes really well with the dressing. And then the other one, kind of surprised you didn't put on there with the sweet, with sweet potato casserole. Oh, yeah. See, I'm not a big mashed potato fan because I have it all the time. So the sweet potato casserole, that's something you, you only get on Thanksgiving, but we're not getting it this year because my wife can't eat sweet potatoes. And um, I, it, it, to make it really well is it, labor-intensive, and I'm sure as hell not a cook. So that's, that's one I'll have to sacrifice this year. But that one, that, 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 that's, a, that's a big staple. Yeah. That, that's a huge staple on, on Thanksgiving. But uh, it, cranberry sauce can be used like gravy, depending on whether you want the sweet or the savory um, taste. They're, they're very versatile. You know, there's, there's very you. few guys in the, in, there's very few guys in the NBA that can play all five positions. And, and that's what cranberry sauce and gravy can do. They, they can play all five for you. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever actually eaten cranberry sauce by itself. In fact, I, I would say that I'm, I'm not a big fan of just the taste of cranberry sauce alone, but to your point, you're absolutely right. I've all, I eat it every year but it's always mixed or mashed in with something else on my plate. Yeah, and it's perfect. You can press it all together. I also like the fact that y'all do mac and cheese. That's what I'm pushing for, to, to add yeah. to the staple. I want that to replace the broccoli, cheese, rice. We have it so often during during the year on Thanksgiving, it, it loses a little bit of its um, loses a little bit of its of its wow factor. And mac and cheese we do too, but mac and cheese is just one of those things where, again, done right, there's never a bad time to eat it. Yeah. The whole, it's, I mean, you got to go homemade mac and cheese, though, for Thanksgiving. You can't just do, like, we're going to add a, a box of craft for the holiday. Like, if you're going to do Thanksgiving mac and cheese, then you have to do homemade mac and cheese, not not anything out of a box. So that's that's like the caveat with mac and cheese being on the Thanksgiving table. Yes, and, and the and, and the homemade mac and cheese. There's so many different ways to make it. So in cream cheese, uh, you can get the Eagle brand uh, evaporated milk in it to give it a little bit of a sweeter taste. You start mixing the cheese. Usually, you look for a white, a yellow. You need sharp cheddar. Yes, absolutely. Sharp cheddar is, is sort of is sort of the key in there. But yeah, homemade throw, throw homemade in some mac and cheese is good. Oh, jeez. Now, that is awesome. I haven't heard of anybody doing that. My, that sounds fantastic. So, last year at our big family Thanksgiving, the 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 entre- or the side I had to make, I was responsible for mac and cheese. So, I probably spent about $25 on ingredients to make this one pan of mac and cheese. And there were like eight cheeses in it, including Gouda, 
I, it was, I found a like baked mac and cheese recipe online. It was just the most creamy yet thick mac and cheese you've ever seen in your life. It was outstanding. Oh, that sounds incredible. If yeah. you're spending that much money to make mac and cheese, then you're hitting it out of the park. Yeah. You, sir, are a chef, and, and, and your culinary expertise needs to be celebrated. Yes, I, I agree. I, I was like, you know what? If, if they're going to give me the job of mac and cheese, which I feel like is a pretty important job, this isn't just throw a few things out of a can into a bowl and mix it together and then throw some saran wrap over the top of it and drive it down the street to your relatives. This is a, a pretty big task. And I wanted to, I wanted my mac and cheese to wow. So uh, I, I, I spared no expense in terms of buying everything good, good, I needed. Good for you. Good, good, good for you. One thing that would be great, and, and they, I would have to get my uh, former co-host, Anthony Pogel, to make this. He is out of the park on greens. Like, I had never had greens before. He invited me over to his house for a few years back to have greens, and they were I, they were off the chain incredible and, and I seems like he mixed them with bacon or had a little bit of bacon grease mixed in them the salt the seasoning was just nice perfect because when you think greens and you see them on the plate you're like well is that gonna it looks like it's got a seaweed con- consistency to right it. so you're wondering if you're just gonna get this leafy taste in your mouth but when somebody does it right and they put the seasoning for it it's um it has a little bit of a like a Finish consistency to it, but with much more flavor. And, and, and if you can, but that's not, that's one of those foods that it seems like you really got to know what you're doing. It seems like that one is, is very easy to screw up. So yeah. if you're not willing to put in the time and learn, it's probably not one you want to take on. You want to try it a few times before you serve it to your entire family for Thanksgiving before they completely shove you out the door. And you probably need lessons on, on how to do it. There's some foods that that you know it, it takes it takes time, it takes care, and you have to get it just right, or you're gonna just bomb. Greens is one. Uh, mac and cheese can be one if you, if you just half ass it. But good for you. You don't. You you don't. Your wife needs to uh, your wife needs to realize what she has here. Just just saying. She is uh, she's out kitchen coverage, Colby. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm I'm a catch. I, I I have culinary skills to match all the other abilities I have. Uh, not to mention, let me throw this out there as well for anybody, because sometimes you know you get stuck with the dish that maybe you've never done before. Um, if anybody out there has is responsible for the the green bean casserole this year, throw some bacon in it. Like just buy a yes. big thing of bacon, cook it up, dice it up, and then just sprinkle it into the mixture before you bake it. Outstanding. One other thing on, on that particular dish is very important. You're going to use the uh, you're going to use the, the Campbell's soup. You're going you're going to use the the Campbell's um, mushroom and cream soup. Right. Make sure that it is not low sodium. Unfortunately, even if you have high blood pressure, you still have to have the full on Campbell's soup that has way salt in it, or it's going to taste <laughs> bad awful. <laughs> Uh, and then that the uh, dish needs salt. Yeah, and then the topping of of green bean casserole. You know, always, always a favorite. You got to add the crunch. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, again, it's, it's a great dish. Yeah, such a great dish. Yeah. Too many people don't put enough of the. Uh, and what are what what is that called? I'm I'm blanking on the topping. 
Oh, the, the uh, fried onion. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the French is fried onion. Yes, no, that's it, no, yeah. no, 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 no. It's got to be smothered. Yeah, you've got it. You got to be smothered. Yeah, you, he, that has to be the only layer you see when you look at it visually. Yes, and, and if you have, if you're put in a position where you have to go into the pantry and grab the can of fried onions and somebody didn't do it right. Like if you have to get it and add, right. then it, the dish was not done to its full extent. And that that's, that's where so many people, people make a huge mistake on that one. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is, this is Thanksgiving now. I mean, this is the, the, the once a year. And if you screw something up, people are going to talk about it year round. You know that they are bad mouthing you behind your back <laughs> if you screw up a dish. And they're not looking forward to you doing it again the next year. Uh, my poor mom, she put pecans in the, in the dressing uh, one time. And then for a year, it was just like, why did you do that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Come on. It would come, up, it would come up in the middle of conversation during the summer. When we were having, like, why on earth did you put pecans in the dressing? There was no need for that. <laughs> I'll never forget, a couple years ago, my dad is not a turkey fan whatsoever, and a couple years ago, uh, Thanksgiving landed at their house that particular year, and my dad just decided that he wasn't going to do a turkey, he wasn't going to do traditional Thanksgiving foods, he went out and bought like hundreds of dollars worth of ribeyes, and grilled a ribeye for everybody in the family, did baked potatoes, and and we switched it up, which was awesome, because that's my favorite meal on earth, Um, but... I do like the tradition of the Thanksgiving food. It was a nice switch up for one year, but I don't know that I would want that every year. That, that's not bad. You can throw some ribs in the smoker and people can deal with that. That's fine. But right. mo- most, of my, most of my, most of my family is very traditional. And I guess they start, you know, looking forward to that two, three weeks out. So they've got it in their head and their mind and you can kind of taste what Thanksgiving's going to be like. So, you know, if you were to throw out them, hey, we're going to do lasagna this year, they 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 freak out. Although I would enjoy <laughs> it. Um, and there's a, there's a reason you eat Thanksgiving once a year. And and I'm n- I've never been one of those guys. Why don't we eat this more often? It's like, yeah, you don't eat it more often. It's heavy and dude, turkey really isn't that good. <laughs> Not that yeah. good. It's good once or twice a year, and that's it. Like Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Throw it in there. I mean, look, belly meat turkey, okay, but now let's try some salami. Let's try some roast beef put on that sandwich. I mean, I don't know. I think turkey is one of the most overrated, overrated meats that, that we have. Just never, never been a huge fan of it. If I'm being honest, my favorite part of the turkey is probably making turkey sandwiches in the days following Thanksgiving. Like, you know, it's Friday afternoon and you got whatever football, you know, college football game is on. And you make yourself a big turkey sandwich and sit down and watch college football Friday afternoon. Like that's perfect scenario. No, that's, that's good. Yes, there's some cranberry sauce in there. I like turkey fill it on the roll with some cranberry sauce. Yes, and that's perfect. There you go. Yeah, or gravy. Either way. Yeah, and then you have this, interchangeable. Yeah, then you have this side of dressing, so you're just carving up and just getting fatter in hell. But you know, whatever. I mean, it it works. All right, well, let's let's talk a little bit of sports. Uh, Saturday was really interesting to me, and as I rewatched the game yesterday, I, maybe the thing that stands out to me more than anything the second time around is you just realize, having already watched it once and knowing the box score and all that, like, 
how the hell did Spencer Rattler throw four touchdown passes and 301 yards? Like, is that the most quiet 300-yard, four-touchdown pass game in the history of football? Now, I, well, I can tell you how he did it. Um, that OSU defense was absolutely shell-shocked after the first right after the first series. And when they were down 20, I mean, when they were down 21 to nothing, of course, that you know, third touchdown is a short field, but it took them a while to settle in and realize that they're, they're actually pretty good at, good at their job. Um, it was, you say quiet, it was a weird four touchdown passes because you had the first, you had the first two. Right. The flurry fast. And then, was, yeah. then, then and then didn't you have, and then the game sort of settled. I mean, even though you, OSU, you never really felt like they had a chance. Settled in, and then you had the you had the late touchdown pass, and what the other one in the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, I don't remember when the third one came. The so, third one was either at the end like, of the third or the beginning of the fourth. It was right around. I like I remember it being really close to either the end of the third or the beginning of the fourth. It was right in that area, and then the the last one was like the six minute mark, I think, of the fourth quarter or ish. So it was just they were they were spread out. It, it wasn't like oh, oh you got up on them forty one to whatever in the you know by the end of the first half, even though it felt like it. Yeah. And they were they were able to tack on a little bit more. So I don't know if it's so much, I wouldn't say quiet as much as just sort of spread out. Yeah. That is the most spread out I can remember four touchdowns being for for any particular guy, but. For as good as Ronnie Perkins was, was there any question that Spencer Rattler was the best player on the field on Saturday? See, that's my point. I thought it was Ramondre Stevenson offensively and Ronnie Perkins defensively. Uh, and, and, like, I'll, I'll go into further detail about why I made the comment about Spencer Rattler's numbers. Like, the first touchdown was the Mikey Henderson touchdown, right? And that was a screen pass that Mikey Henderson caught the ball on the line of scrimmage and then ran 20 yards for a touchdown. So, like... Again, Spencer Rattler gets a touchdown pass there, but it's not as though he was throwing the ball down the field vertically. Screen pass turns into touchdown pass. The second touchdown pass was right after the turnover, so it's a short field, and I think it was I think that was the eight yard, eight, nine yard pass to Theo Weiss. So again, it wasn't like he was just throwing the ball over the top of the defense or something like that. It was a short field and he threw that that quick out to Theo Weiss in the front corner of the end zone touchdown. Then the next one doesn't come until, like I said, it was either the end of the third or the beginning of the fourth. And that was the incredible play call by Lincoln Riley where he brings the guy in motion and Rattler holds on to it, throws the... Again, this is why I think it, it, it's kind of shocking to see these numbers because the, the pass travels five yards to Jeremiah Hall and then he runs it in from like 25, 30 yards out, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then the fourth one, obviously, the game was over and he throws the long touchdown to Theo Weiss at that point. Uh, but but I think until the fourth one, two of the three passes, or actually all three of the touchdown passes, from the line of scrimmage to where the ball was caught, none of them traveled more than 10 yards. You had a, a, a ball that was caught on the line of scrimmage, a ball that was caught five yards from the line of scrimmage, and a ball that was caught eight yards from the line of scrimmage. So I think that that probably for me is, is why maybe at the end of it, you look at the box score and you're like, holy cow, that's crazy. Well, it, it was his presence. It was his calmness. 
It was the fact that his passes were accurate. And zero um, mistakes. He was able – yeah, he was able to move around in the pocket. And, you know, we talked about this last week, but that moment he was built for. I mean, he, he didn't look shell-shocked at all. He looked like he was ready to go out there and take it by the throat where you look at the guy on the other side of the field, Spencer Sanders, he looked scared. He was scared that entire game. Now, part of that, yeah, when you got Ronnie Perkins getting up in your face and your offensive line can't block, that's going to that's factor into it. But all in all, he didn't show any confidence at all. And, and anything that he had in him to muster up to get back, to, to get back and short back at anyone, was coming from a place of was coming from a place of fear. Like you could just see it in his eyes when they would when they would do the close up. He didn't want any part of that OU defense. And when they needed him to make plays with his leg, it just wasn't there. Um, and you get pulled and you go back in. And now you got to wonder where, where, he, where he is mentally going forward for Oklahoma State. And, and whether or not, not so much can the coaching staff trust him, but do his teammates trust him now? Do they feel more comfortable with Shane Ellingworth? And not that Ellingworth was great, but he seemed more poised in that situation than Spencer Sanders is, which is sad because God OSU needs that guy. They need Spencer Sanders to be good because that offensive line isn't going to get any better in these next three games. Wondering where he is mentally, I think, kind of applies for me to the whole team and how they bounce back from this. And, and look, I, I, I think that they'll beat Texas Tech, but – it wouldn't surprise me at all to see this be a close game where Oklahoma State struggles simply because I, I don't know how you shake off. And, and look, there is still a chance that, that they could play in the Big 12 championship, uh, even without OU losing, which is also mind-blowing. But it, it to me, it would be really tough to shake off three weeks ago feeling like you were the front runner in the conference to all of a sudden looking at this scenario where you're not even going to make the game. It'll be it'll be tough. The one thing that they've got going in their favor is defensively you've played really well all year long. And for as as dark as it may look now, and even though you're gonna need help to get into that Big Twelve championship, there's pride. Um, you're scholarship athletes. You know, you're borderline professional athletes. You ought to have a little pride about yourself. It, it was a little disturbing to hear Mike Gundy say yesterday that coming off the field the post OU practice he was the only one in the good mood yeah. and everybody else was down well this is when you're when you're a coach you've got to dig in and motivate these guys you've got to convince them that the season isn't over if it means that you're going to have to lie to him a little bit on this you go ahead and lie to him but it's going to be on him and the rest of the coaching staff to pull these guys aside and tell them that the season isn't wasted no you're not going to be Big 12 champs but do you want to finish the season with more than two losses? I mean, in, in most years, losing to OU in Texas wouldn't be that big of a deal. This year it is, but there's still something to play for in finishing out your season undefeated and going to a bowl game and winning that and be able to hang your hat on something that, that says, well, wasn't the season we wanted, but at least it was this. And – it's all it's all on the coaches now. The good thing is that they don't have to create a crisis. The crisis is here, and you got to stress to them a good week of you know a bad week of practice will get you beat 
against Texas Tech. You have to stress that to them. And as long as you can keep that message going and, and keep dangling carrots out in front of them and, and use pride as the motivating factor, they should be fine. Um, you know, at some point, the shock of bedlam, some point you would hope the shock of bedlam would wear off. I guess it doesn't have to, but if by Wednesday you haven't had a good practice, then OSU is in real trouble, not just against Tech, but against everybody else that's left on the schedule, which are all three very winnable games. I heard somebody say yesterday that Oklahoma on the road against West Virginia, considering what just happened in Bedlam, could be a trap. Thoughts? Not so much a trap. In fact, I love this game for OU. Love it. Um, and here's the reason why. You've had a big game. Um, all the OU fans are telling you how awesome they are. They're, you know, talking up Spencer Rattler and Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson. And everybody's great. And they get the best, you know, their defense is better than OSU's. And OSU wasn't anything. And you're dominant. I mean, this is the classic case of where OU's starts to read their press clippings. So the fact that you're playing in the second most remote area in the Big 12 this week, and you've got to go away on a, on a weird road trip um, where there's probably not going to be hardly any fans at all. And even though it's not a typical West Virginia crowd, the ones that will be there will be rude, crude, socially unacceptable you can create that us against the world. You can create that us against the world mentality. I think if they were playing at home, you might see them get off to a bit of a sluggish start and have to work their way into the game. But going on the road, they know they're going to have to be sharp. So for Lincoln Riley and his crew, now it's about creating a crisis. Um, and even if you have to make something up, <laughs> it can make these guys get pissed off at West Virginia you're gonna have you're gonna have to do it this week um, because OU can sense they can sense another Big Twelve championship on the horizon and, and I think that's gonna be huge for them huge for them in the in the next few weeks and when OU can sense it usually they're very tough to beat how how about the fact that uh, both fan bases I mean have a lot to lose or gain by that Iowa State Texas game at 11 a.m. I mean that's all eyes on the Big Twelve as far as that game goes and what it means for everybody else in the conference. Yeah, that's it. Now that's interesting. Um, because for OU, I guess for OU, what you want Iowa State to win is that? Yes. No. Actually, it doesn't even matter to OU if you win out. You're still in the game, right? No. There, there is a, there, there's, a, there's a path for Oklahoma to win out but be left out of the of the Big 12 championship. So what did it? What, what? Okay, it seemed like OSU would need Iowa State to lose, correct? Yes. But even then, they still lose the tiebreaker to Texas because of the head-to-head matchup. Um, well, what you would need is what you is want. for the the path is Oklahoma wins out, Oklahoma State wins out, or even if Oklahoma loses, that that you know that obviously also keeps you out. But if Oklahoma wins out, OSU wins out. Texas beats Iowa State and then Kansas State beats Texas, then it's a three-way tie with uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State, and the tiebreaker is your record against the number four team, which at that point would be Kansas State, 
and Oklahoma would Ooh. have lost to the Wildcats, and then you get Iowa State, Oklahoma State as your Big 12 championship matchup. <laughs> How insane is and that? I guess if you're Oklahoma I guess if you're Oklahoma State, you're rooting for Texas this week, correct? No, I mean, Iowa State. What you, no, you're rooting for Iowa State this week. If, if you're Oklahoma, you're rooting for Iowa State. If you're Oklahoma State, you're rooting for Texas. Okay. If, if Texas, beats, Texas beats Iowa State, that eliminates Iowa State, correct? God, stupid. Well, no, no, that, that ties <laughs> Iowa State with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. But then, uh, and Oklahoma well, State has a head-to-head. Yeah, there's there's another path though. I think if if te- if Iowa State beats Texas, but then loses to West Virginia, and then Kansas State wins out, I think that's the other path where uh, Kansas State is the determining factor between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, I, I think what's interesting about that is it, it, it's such an important game. It's it's on at eleven o'clock, and for, it's interesting when you think about, about it from, from a coaching standpoint because for Tom Herman, it feels like you're – the question is, is, one, is Tom Herman still coaching for his job or is it a fait accompli? Is it, is it just – is his job going to end at the end of the year because Urban Meyer is going to take that Texas job? For Matt Campbell, you continue to win – there's a lot of things bubbling in Michigan right now where we don't know what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh. He seems like he'd be a perfect fit for that job. He's a Midwestern guy, got a chance to go to a big-time program. You've done wonderful things with Iowa State. So taking it from, from the Matt Campbell standpoint, winning this week isn't just about helping Iowa State get to the conference championship. It's about your resume yeah. and saying to the folks in Ann Arbor, look what I did with these guys. We have no recruiting base. Our facilities are good, but they're not near as good as Oklahoma's. We beat them this year. The only team we lost to was Oklahoma State. And who knows? Maybe we're playing them in the Big 12 championship and we knocked them off. Um, of course, they did lose at the, at the beginning of the year in a, you know, to a, a Sunbelt team, but, you know, hey, Michigan's lost worse games than that. They've lost to Appalachian State. But this is about you sort of continuing to court Michigan and, and every other big-time program out there that, that's looking for a coach. And if it's him, that's where you've got your eyes. Tennessee will probably be open. Texas will probably be open. But your bread and butter is in the Midwest from your days at the MAC. You have relationships with the high school coaches in those states. That's where you want to be. So continuing to win not only helps elevate your program status, but more importantly, elevates your status. And it seems like a trip to the Big 12 championship might be good enough to, to, to land him that Michigan job. If his name's not already being mentioned for it as the number one candidate, then some, somebody's screwing up there because that's definitely where that guy should be. If that happens, he's got to be pushing for Brock Purdy to graduate early and go to Michigan with him, right? Brock Purdy's a better quarterback than anything Michigan's had for like the last 15 years. Yeah, he is. Um, Yeah, I I would think that that he would want Brock Purdy to to come in with him for, for, for that one year at Michigan unless there is some Juco guy or some guy out there in the transfer portal that, that, that you could get that would be that would be a serious upgrade, but it, it seems like 
it, it seems like that would be that would be a natural fit. And you would think that Brock Purdy would like to go. I mean, look, playing at Iowa State's great. Do you get an opportunity to go play at Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take that opportunity if it comes up. Speaking of head coaching changes, uh, this is a good segue because after Saturday night, a lot of Oklahoma State fans calling for Mike Gundy's job, saying it's time. And I think my biggest question in, in terms of evaluating where Oklahoma State is, where they want to be, and Mike Gundy is simply, has Gundy taken Oklahoma State as far as he possibly can? Can he do better with Oklahoma State than what we've seen to this point? We have 16 years of, of resume work to evaluate at this point. So is it getting any better for Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy in that chair? No. But the question is, is who are you going to hire that's going to make it any better? Because there are still – Mike Gundy, to, to a large extent, this sounds so weird. He's a victim of his own success. He's actually raised the expectation level at Oklahoma State. That being said, the one thing he can't do or anybody else that comes in there is give Oklahoma State a better recruiting base. He can't – whoever comes in there, Mike Gundy, can't give Oklahoma State more people like Boone Pickens that are going to write big checks. Your facilities are what they are. They can continue to, to be improved. But there is a ceiling as to what you can accomplish at OSU. And those are just the hard facts. Whoever comes in might be able to beat OU. I mean, heck, you, you might be able to pull a Bobson. You go three and three or a Les Miles and you go two and two. But, but let's remember, I mean, just because Les Miles went two and two against OU and Bob Simmons went three and three, they didn't accomplish a whole heck of a lot during their time in Oklahoma State. And Les Miles left to go take the LSU job. So if you beat OU a couple of years in a row at Oklahoma State, that starts raising the eyebrows of people around college football, and they start wanting to know, can you help their program get that? And that's when programs like Miami and LSU start knocking on your door. So are, are you willing to live with that? If, if you're OSU, are you willing to live with a guy who can come in, do a quick fix, and leave? Are you willing to hire a guy like you, Freeze, that it's already been proven that if he's going to compete with everyone, he's going to do it. He's going to do it and, and violate NCAA rules and probably get you on probation. Seriously, what are, you, what are you willing to tolerate? That's what Oklahoma State fans need to ask themselves. What are you willing to tolerate in order to beat OU on a regular basis? And are you willing to have that program go on probation? And if you are, then yeah, by all means, go out and get you freeze, and then maybe it can be better. But just know that there's going to be a, a hell of a price to pay at the end because you, oh, you've got a sixty-year start on you in in giving a damn. Your school didn't give a damn for long enough time that now you're trying to catch up with that, and that's right. that's impossible to do. And Oklahoma State fans have got to realize that. So yeah, you can go ahead and get rid of Mike Gundy. But I don't think whoever you get in is going to be a whole lot better or any better than him. And TCU, Tech, I mean, those are the schools that you're fighting it out with. I mean, you go into Tech, going into Texas with OSU on your shirt, you're recruiting the same kids as TCU and Tech are, and Baylor are. That's who you're fighting with. You're not fighting with Oklahoma. You're not fighting with LSU or A&M or Alabama. We're ranking in that state right now. 
So you're always getting that next kid down. And yeah, I know what Mike Holder said on a podcast. And I know that there were people that echoed his sentiments. But realistically, if you're a five-star kid, what can Mike Holder tell that kid any differently than Mike Gundy, than Mike Gundy could? Or what could Mike Gundy's critics tell that kid any differently that would make him want to go to Oklahoma State over going to Texas? What is your what is your pitch there to make that I mean to make that kid want to want to give up going to a blue blood program compared to yours? Not have to wait. So I mean. You get to be the star immediately. That's, I mean, that's probably the that's probably the best seller. If if uh, and I don't even know if that's true anymore. It's not true it's everywhere. I mean, it, it, yeah, it depends on the situation and what position it is and what what your competition looks like at those positions. But for the most part, it, Oklahoma State, ninety percent of the time, if they bring in a five star, regardless of what position it is, that guy's probably as prepared as anybody on the roster to to take us take on a starting role. Um, I think the interesting thing with Oklahoma State, because we always talk about if Mike Gundy were to leave and you bring in somebody else, you know, do they do they take the first job that's offered after they have some success? And and I think a lot of that is because of what happened with Les Miles. Bottom line is, anybody in college football gets an offer from, you know, some of the, the premier programs in the country, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU's in that category, um, you know, maybe, maybe in Michigan, uh, Texas. I mean, you're listening regardless of where you are. So that's not an Oklahoma State thing. That's just a credit to what all of those universities have accomplished for basically 100 years and the position they've put themselves in. They have positioned themselves within the sport to demand the ears of anybody they dial on the phone. So again, that to me, that's not an Oklahoma State thing. That's just a reality thing of what LSU is as a program or what Alabama is or what you know one of the premier programs in college football is. But the second part of that is it, it, Oklahoma State is in a considerably better position today than they were when Les Miles left for LSU. Like, when you look at the injection of money put into the program, the facilities, just the overall, I think, impression or perception of what Oklahoma State football is in 2020 versus what it was in the early 2000s, it's night and day different. There is a focus inside that inside that university to make football the top priority where it wasn't that way 20 years ago. So the, the other side of that sword is that the Oklahoma State program itself is completely different than it was when Les Miles left. And I think it's a lot more appealing to stay. And look, Oklahoma's paid Mike Gundy a ton of money. It's not as though you're just not going to get paid if you go to Oklahoma State. They've shown that if you have some success, they're going to pay you. But can you? But your others going to be fighting OU, and and can you overcome the OU stigma enough to win four out of five years, five out of six years? No. Get yourself in a position where you're the one making the Big Twelve championship, not them. No, that's, I, I, that's unrealistic. That's un, yeah, that's unrealistic. Yeah, I don't even think winning. So, like, I don't even think winning every other year. I don't even think going 500 against Oklahoma is realistic. Honestly, like. Seriously, when you look at Oklahoma and you look at Oklahoma State and just the resources that are available to both programs, uh, like it's it's obviously considerably easier for Oklahoma to sustain success than it is for Oklahoma State. So I don't think anybody in their right mind would say 
that Oklahoma State should be winning every other year against the Sooners, that their record should be 500 against the Sooners. But here's the thing, Eric. It should be considerably better than 2-14 and 14 over a 16-year span, especially in the best era of, of your football program. Like, the last 16 years is the best Oklahoma State's ever been in the history of their program. 2-14 and 14 isn't good enough. Is it too much to ask for one out of every four, for example? I don't think that's too much to ask. One, yeah, one out of every four. That, that's probably... That's probably not too much to ask. I would always counter is how many times in that one of four are you going to have the better team? And this year was probably at the beginning of the year one of those years where you could you could say that, okay, it, at least starting 22-wise, yeah. OSU might be as good as or better than OU. In fact, I thought they had the best skill position players. I thought Spencer Sanders might be the best quarterback in the Big 12. Um, and certainly defensively, I love what Oklahoma State has been doing all year long. But when you got them on the field, and especially along the offensive line, OU wins that battle. Defensively, I still say they're about even despite the, the, the poor performance from OSU on Saturday. I, I still think their defense in, in most in most situations. But you start whittling away the depth. Your 85 is never going to be better than OU's 85. No, but now, no. I mean, it's just it, – it's a matter of can you get them one every four years? And in that one, is it because you were able to go out and did what you did in 2011 when you smoked them? Or are you going to need something to happen like, like with Bob Stoops or something to happen like it did in 2000 where – just some weird things kind of happened along the way to give you an opportunity to win the game. Maybe OU didn't play as well or they kept you around in it long enough. And that's what, that's what I don't know with, with Oklahoma State. I, I just don't. And I think it's a good program. I think it's a job where, yeah, it can be a destination job. Is it a – as in a top twenty-five, is it a top twenty-five job in America? I think it's at the low end. Yeah, of that. That, yeah. That, it, I think it's at the low end of that. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where you are, and, and OU is a top five job right. in America. And, and what, what, what's frustrating, what's really frustrating, is Oklahoma State fans seem to be happy until Bedlam, and then once Bedlam rolls around, they lose their freaking mind. Every year, they just go absolutely nuts. And I get it. Because I'm that OU fan that loses it when OU gets skunked in the playoffs. Drives me absolutely nuts. So I, I, I feel your pain. When, when, when OU looks great in the Big 12 and then goes out and lets LSU hang 62 off, I'm totally there with you. I, I can sympathize. But it can't just be about OU. It's got to be about more than going to OU. It's got to be about consistently going to bowl games and putting yourself in a position where even if you lose to OU, you have an opportunity to go to the Big 12 championship. Which they've never done. That's what it's got to be about. Yeah. And spoiling OU's year shouldn't – spoiling OU's year, that that shouldn't be what you you settle for. I mean, that that ought to be an insult to you. To some extent, the other thing you got to live, the other thing you got to ask yourself is your OSU. All right, so how many years are you going to be better than Texas? Yes, certainly Texas has been screwing things up for several years now. But if Texas goes and hires Urban Meyer, 
who are you going to get to compete with now on a regular basis? Right. That's why so I, I think it's fair to ask the questions. Quick. And Mike Gundy's done a tremendous job it's there. Nobody's best year, the third, you're the third best program in this conference at best most years. It's not bad, yeah. but can you live with it? The problem is, Eric, like Texas has been down for a decade. Uh, Texas has been to more Big 12 championship games than you have. Uh, I mean, you know, this is what, year four of the Big 12 title game? If things if things go the way that right now it looks like they're going to go, it's going to be OU, Iowa State, and we're talking about four Big 12 title games where you've had five different teams represent the conference, and none of them are Oklahoma State. Even when Oklahoma was down following the Cowboys' only Big 12 championship, I mean, there was a three-year gap after Oklahoma State won a conference title where the Sooners were down, and it was up for grabs. I mean, the conference could be had by anybody because both the Sooners and Texas were down, and they never capitalized off that. Like, it's it's been almost 10 years since they won a conference title, and, you know, you talk about the the difference between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and, and we all agree that... You know, going 500 against OU is unrealistic that from 1 to 85, you're never going to have a more talented roster from top to bottom than Oklahoma. But when you look at, again, over the last 10 years, there are five games, 2010, 2012, 2013, 2017, 2018, where you legitimately had opportunities to win and you fall short in all of those. Like you you just, you have to capitalize more often when you actually have a chance to beat OU or to win the conference. And Every time they've had a chance over the last 10 years to do either one, it kind of feels like they've fallen short. Well, and, and especially in that, um, especially in that 2013 game, you probably should have been up 31 to 7 at, at one point. Um, you should have had them on ice midway through the third. Oh, you was terrible that day until the fourth quarter, and they ended up having to go through three quarterbacks. And, you had your opportunity and it just felt like eventually you were going to take over that game and, and never did. So now you got to ask the question, why do they keep being down their leg <laughs> in those big moments? Yeah. And is that coaching? Is that mentality? Is it, you know, if you're listening to the out, if you're going, if you're going to, if you're listening to outside noise, then I would say that that's coaching. You're not doing a good enough job of cutting these kids off, even though it's hard in the day and age of social media where all they got to do is pick up their phone and read anything that's being said about some of the team, it's still, you got to figure out a way to, you got to figure out a way to, to isolate them and, and make them live in, in somewhat of a bubble. It's more and more difficult to do it than it, than it has been in the past, but that's something you got to do. And I, and the thing that's most astonishing about that game on Saturday more than anything, is just the moment was too big for them. And that, I don't understand why. Yeah, out of the gate. I mean, it I, was, yeah. It, Crazy, man. Crazy. Uh, let's let's switch gears. Obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that Oklahoma even has a path to a college football playoff. Uh, I, I think there is that possibility. But, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty low at the moment. They would need a lot of help. But in terms of tonight's college football playoff ranking, how do you foresee this thing happening, how high do you think Oklahoma could possibly get? Uh, 12, 13. What I'm interested to see is do they have Iowa State ranked ahead of Oklahoma? Yeah. Um, simply because simply because the head-to-head that Iowa State won that, or did they have Iowa State ranked below because of their, their loss at the beginning of the year and then the loss to Oklahoma State? 
I think 12, 13, I don't think either one of them are going to be in the top 10. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Indiana, how high they rank them and, and value what they did versus Ohio State. I would think that based on Ohio State's performance against Indiana, you're looking at them being number four with Clemson at three, Bama at one, and Notre Dame at two right now. Probably seems like that is how that is all that is all going to play out. But it's those it's those next three after the four that I'm most interested to see if like an Indiana is in there, is a Miami in there, is Cincinnati, is BYU, and where does Oregon rank, and and, and how is the committee looking at at these conferences that are going to play less games than others? And if OU is in the top 10, the thing that that should tell you is they value the conferences that started earlier and are going to play more games right. and they're going to weigh that heavier versus the conferences like the like the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 who played less games and had shorter seasons, which could go well for OU. Um, that, that, that really could. If Ohio State trips up and loses a game, even though OU lost two, if they played more, that's bode well for them getting into the college football playoffs. I wouldn't hold my breath, but those are kind of the things that you got to look. You got to look for tonight. I kind of feel like if Cincy were to run the table, they would get the edge over a two-loss conference champion Oklahoma. But if Cincinnati loses a single game, even as an, an American Athletic Conference champ, I think you would probably talk about the Big Twelve champ getting the edge there with two losses. BYU's interesting because this week we got the news that BYU turned down an offer from Washington. And I wonder in terms of a group of people making a decision about how good BYU is, I feel like that's got to count against them in some way because, again, we always ask this question for for a group of five teams, uh, when you're not playing that level of competition every week, are you really as good as your record indicates you are? And if you're saying no to having that opportunity to prove otherwise – I just kind of wonder what the long-term impact is for BYU there. If you start looking at like the SEC, for example, and let's just say Alabama runs the table, wins the SEC championship, Florida's then out of the equation. Does a two-loss Big 12 champion get the nod over a one-loss Texas A&M, like non-SEC champion? That's another interesting conversation. Probably. Yeah, we know they value conference championships. Um, You know, I don't know what they do with, for, for example an Oregon Pac-12 champion that plays half as many games. I'm not sure how that's going to look when it's all said and done at the end of the day, uh, which is is something to pay attention to the rest of the way. But, you know, again, with some help, I I think there is a path. I just think it's a very extreme long shot that that could even happen. And look, if all things are even, I mean, I I don't think you see a lot of shakeup anyway at the top, but just trying to get ahead of these teams right now that are, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That those are those are interesting questions that that are going to have to be had. And I, I don't know, you know, in, in a normal year, we don't know how the conference or, or how the committee is going to view like strength of schedule or head-to-head wins or you know non-conference scheduling. And and in a year where not even everybody is playing the same amount of games, and you have teams that are playing half as many games. I think this is going to be as interesting as ever. I mean, Ohio State has played four football games. I, I think they're one of the best teams in the country. I, they were actually my preseason pick to win the national championship before everything got canceled. But, I mean, realistically, how do you compare 4-0 to 8-0, like against Notre Dame? Like, what's the conversation there? I don't think there's any conversation. I mean, clearly Notre Dame should get 
the the advantage there in terms of a ranking, but who knows what we see? Well, and, and does okay, so let me ask you this year about the one loss A and M team. What if Notre Dame and Clemson play each other in the ACC championship? Yeah. And they split. If they split, I they're both going, that, I would think. Yeah, and I would think that a one loss Notre Dame and a one loss Clemson certainly would get in over a two loss Big Twelve champion. Um right. even though one's not the conference conference champion, I would think that A and M would get in over a big two loss Big Twelve champion. And may, it's mainly because of those damn Sunbelt games. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, potentially. Potentially. You want to look at I mean, those the, the losses to the Sunbelt just absolutely killed OU this year. And it wasn't anything to do with their fault, but but the rest of the conference didn't hold up their their end of the bargain. And when you get off to the slow start like they did, lose those games to the K State and Iowa State back to back, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to make that up in a good year, much less a year where much less a year where the committee has got so much to take into so much to take into consideration. Um, that being said, if Ohio State were to lose. In the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, that makes it really and interesting. And let's say they would have played Indiana again. It, it, I would think that would help OU simply because number number of games played. Um, but it's it's hard. It's hard to see OU get into the uh, get into the college football playoffs at, at, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think it's an extreme long shot, and they would need help in almost every area, but. Uh, it's crazy to me that you could even forecast a, a potential path to that even happening, especially when you consider a month ago, you know, we were having the question, how many games are they going to lose this season? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just, it, it, it always, it's just kind of become the OUMO, hasn't it? Where they underperform in one game and, they, and it looks dire, and then they figure out a way to turn things around. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and that's something, I mean, I think it's interesting about OU fans is you don't hear them complain about that at all. You don't hear OU fans losing their mind. I've said this before, but it just seems like they've accepted what the status quo is. And, and even though OU could win another Big 12 championship this year, they're going to miss out on the playoffs, and no one seems to be upset about it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, after you lose two games, I, all expectations are just wiped off the table. So that that's why I also thought that yeah, there but, was a lot more pressure on Oklahoma State going into Bedlam than there was on Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma had oh, yeah. any pressure that, at all removed when they lost their second conference game. I mean, there was, at that point, you know, it, it kind of seemed like everything that they had on their list of goals was was completely gone and they could just go out and play football. They could, but that see, but that's not OU. You should not lose to Kansas State. You shouldn't lose to Iowa State, and you shouldn't lose back to back. And for Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins to make that much of a difference, that's head scratching. And some of that's got to be laid at Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch's feet as to why they lost those games. But you just don't hear the fans doing it. They just don't. I, I can't explain it. There's something, I've seen this before too, and I'm sorry to be redundant, but there's something different about OU fans now as opposed to where they were five, six years ago. Losing their mind when, when, when you were getting embarrassed, you know, by, by Clemson in, in, a, in a camping world bowl or when, when you were 
uh, when, when you got embarrassed by Clemson in, in the college football playoffs, OU fans were pissed. Now they just seem to be okay with whatever the outcome of the season is as long as you win a Big 12 championship. And that's, I mean, I guess as long as OU's kept themselves in position to do that, then I guess everything is just fine in Norman. Not my standards, certainly not what OU was built on, but if that's the way everybody wants to roll now, then I guess that's what's going to be accepted. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the interesting argument for Oklahoma, though, and again, I think it's, like I've said multiple times, I think it's an extreme long shot that they could get back into that scenario. But if I'm if I'm trying to imagine what the argument is for the Sooners, it, you know, down the stretch, if they went out, it would have been, what, eight? Is it eight-game winning streak? If they went out, yeah. their final two games and a conference title, they're a conference champion, eight-game win streak. They have a defense that has some sort of teeth for the first time maybe in, in a decade and that's going to be something that's brought up this defense is is certainly different than they've had in the past and the fact that the two losses you can make the argument I told you that I thought Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins were the two best players for Oklahoma on Saturday night the two the two losses come with in my opinion your two best players not playing and your starting quarterback making the first and second start of his career against FBS competition that's interesting that you say that because that's almost a that's almost an NCAA tournament philosophy when right. when they're right. when they're seeding teams is they will take all that into consideration about whether or not they're going to put you lower or higher. Like if you lose a player, even though you may win your conference tournament, um, and win your conference, you can win your conference championship in the regular season. You can win your conference tournament, but if you lose a player along the way, a guy that they feel is key. I mean, yeah, you're going to get hit with a lower seed. If you get somebody back towards the end of the year and you just kind of media, you've been mediocre, but you get somebody back and go on a run, they usually put you in a, in a pretty good position. Yep. So I, that's an interesting argument. Um, and that's one that's probably going to be brought up in, one that's probably going to be brought up in the familiar fight. I mean, and, and look, if your whole goal is to get these four best teams, there's an argument to be made that OU is one of the four best teams in college football if they, if they finish out undefeated. There really is. Yeah, And I there's agree. a difference between most most deserving and the best. May Ohio State be more deserving? Yeah, but if you can look at OU and see the way they're playing, and if that defense is smothering teams, and you're, you're holding teams to, to, to 20 or less points a game, and Ohio State is having to win games like OU did in the past. If you're on the selection committee, then yeah, you make it. You make a strong case for OU. May, it may it may not ultimately get them in, but if you can get people thinking, that's all you got to do right now. Right. I, I, again, I think I, I think if they, I think they finish in the seeded, they probably are one of the four best teams in college football. Well, they're at least going to get. They're at least going to be talked about. I, they may not get the benefit of the doubt, and and I I also believe that their past shortcomings in the playoff may be held against them. And even if you are doing your best as a human being not to do that, I think subconsciously, that that has to in some way impact the way that you're making a decision. But if you are just laying the facts on the table and and surveying every bit of information that's out there, to have a starting quarterback that is making his first two FBS starts in the two losses and getting your two... Again, I think they're the best two players on the team. Best offensive player, best defensive player, Stevenson and Perkins back, 
and you go on an eight-game win streak, and for the first time in a decade, we're not looking at Oklahoma just saying, well, they have an elite offense, but the defense is trash. Like, for the first time, it looks like, at least on the defensive line where it matters most, they are significantly better than they've been, and if that group continues to play the way that it's played down the stretch, I I, I just think that, not saying they, they will get the benefit of the doubt, but I think there would be interesting conversations in that room. There, there could be. I mean, the one thing that might work against them when it comes to the committee is they see them do it against the Big 12. Right. And, and the fact that you're only non-con gamers against Missouri State this right. year probably doesn't help them whatsoever. I think the committee is going to want to see them be balanced against somebody that they consider a, a little bit better competition. And, and that's one thing that OU is going to have to fight right now is that the Big 12's the Big 12's reputation overall is just shot. And people don't have a real good feeling about the conference. And like you said, that sort of plays into them looking at OU's past performances and how bad they've been in these situations. And I think the committee does, to a certain extent, want to avoid rewarding a team that looks so dominant in the regular season, but when they get into the playoffs, people are turning the game off by halftime because they just don't feel like they can compete with the upper echelon of, of college football. So maybe the good thing for OU is is that they do get shut out of the playoffs this year. And you start to see a little bit of a culture change happen with it, within the program where you see a tougher brand of football. And what you saw against Oklahoma State on Saturday becomes the norm, not just against OSU. And let's remember that offensive line is crap. Yeah. Um, but it becomes the norm against everybody that they play. So it's as good as OU fans are feeling about that dominating performance against OSU, this is a bad offensive line. A really bad offensive line. Yeah. And this wasn't Alabama. This wasn't Ohio State. This wasn't Clemson. It was an Oklahoma State. It was an Oklahoma State team that, that, that in a way, it looks like maybe it just piecemealed together a few wins this season. Yeah, no question. Look, I said before the season, I thought I picked Oklahoma to win the conference, but I didn't think they were going to be in the playoff. And I said 2021 was really the year where I thought you could you could legitimately see them make that push again and not only make the playoff, but potentially be in the actual conversation to win a playoff game. And Again, if the defense continues to improve, especially on the defensive line, and we're not asking big questions after the season is over about that group going into next year, I think that the expectations maybe surpass where they've been over the last five years. They could be. They very very well could. And I'll give Alex Prince some credit. The defense has turned around this year. It was better last year. But before I'm willing to put a lot of money in that stock, I've got to see them do it against a really good offensive team. i got to see them do it against somebody better than, than what they than what they've done in the conference. Agreed. But yeah, I think I mean you hit, you hit the nail on the head. I thought OSU uh, would I picked them to actually win the conference this year. Um, but you know, partly because I, I didn't know, I mean when, especially when, when OU started losing running backs you know, left and right, and Trey Summerlin, Kennedy Brooks leaves. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and you're replacing some receivers and you're coming in with a with a freshman quarterback. I kind of thought, well, it's kind of now or never for Oklahoma State. So you have to win this year. Because you just don't get these opportunities very, very often. But 
it's all you. Same old song and dance. And unless Texas gets their act together, that's not changing for the foreseeable future. No question. Eric, I appreciate it, my friend. Uh, we will catch up again next Tuesday. You and your family have a happy Thanksgiving. You too, man. Keep knocking it down the park for that macaroni and cheese. Absolutely. Absolutely. Will do. Eric G. joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products on their website, abotanicalcompany.com. That is abotanicalcompany.com. Or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available. Ask them questions. They're more than happy to assist you in, in figuring out what they have, how it can help your daily life. So, again, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City, great people, and I'm really happy they're on board with the podcast. All right, that is it for this episode. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe. Have a happy Thanksgiving if I don't see you the rest of the week. I'll be back tomorrow, but if you miss it, have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back on Friday as well, not to mention on Saturday, two hours before Oklahoma's kickoff. Mike Steele and I will have coverage, but I'll be back on tomorrow with Aaron Davis. Thank you guys. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Podcast is over.